0: O God, the strength of all who put their trust in thee, mercifully accept our prayers, and because through the weakness of our mortal nature, we can do no good thing without thee, give us the help of thy grace, that in keeping thy commandments, we may please thee both in will and deed, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. That is the collect appointed for today, the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany, February the 13th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. I, I, I guess I've never explained really in here what, the, what what I mean when I say the collect. And so it, what it does is it collects sort of the theme of the day. It collects the, the, the idea of the readings at some level and collects those into a prayer. And so that it, it is it's collecting the prayers of the congregation, of the people of God, on that day. That's what a collect is, is. there's one appointed for every single day of the year, and to the extent that we're celebrating anything specific on a given day of the year, then it, it will, there'll be a separate collect for that day as well. So it's to the extent that you're ex- celebrating something like the Transfiguration uh, or another thing that's not on a Sunday, then there's a specific collect for those days as well. So that's where this comes from. That's what the collect is. Um, been a good week nothing horribly exciting, uh, I don't think, at least not that it's come to my attention. Um, we've sort of gotten back into a fitness routine. I've changed my diet a little bit, trying to lose some weight and um, trying to find and figure out the the right balance on that. And it's so, uh, so it's been a good week. Got a little bit injured in the gym on uh, Sunday afternoon late, actually. Went in to do some squats and strained the the little muscle that's over your knee on the inside of your knee and uh, so I've had to kind of be careful about that the last few days but that's fine that's fine I probably needed to make a change anyway in in what I was doing because I was working out heavy but I was squatting three days a week and probably that's too much for a 61 year old man to be squatting over Three fifteen for <laughs> three days a week. Probably not my best plan, let's say. So i have got to back off on that, change that up a little bit. So that's fine. Didn't just tweaked it a little bit. No big deal. Um, other than that, nothing exciting. I don't think going on this week. Just sort of you know living life. Um, been unseasonably warm, although today it's a little colder. But um, but it's been unseasonably warm this week here, and so it's been nice. Been able to get out some, do some things, um, and so it's it's good. I feel like there's some change. You know, that we're, we're making some changes and um, God's just showing me some things that I need to be focusing on and, and need to be thinking about for the for the longer term. So feeling good about that. Just happen to notice I used to um, I would use um, an illustration every week and that I can't do it as efficiently in in this format because I have to read the lessons out loud for you. In a, uh, in a typical Anglican service, all these lessons would have been read by the time you step into the pulpit. So I, I have to kind of give up on some of my old habits, but it doesn't mean that I don't look anyway. So as it happens, this week on Friday, on the 11th, um, we, had pa- we passed a milestone. It was two years ago, on February the 11th, that they identified this new coronavirus, and it was called COVID-19. So yippee, yippee, yippee. And What's funny today is, is that the sort of the theme would be kind of what you put your trust in, right? I mean, that's how that collect starts, the strength of all who put their trust in thee. And so I think if we've put our trust in whatever over the last two years, we have constantly been surprised and disappointed because the, everything changes, right? The science is evolving. Um, you know, some people said this, some people said that. It's hard to figure out who to put your trust in and where to get your information. Uh, and you can tell you know, that it's difficult, and, and some people just kind of default in one direction. Of, uh, okay, I'll, I'll just default in the direction of compliance. I'll default in the direction of the official word. And there are other people who who say, no, 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 that's the worst possible thing you could do. you got to put your trust over here in, in these other people you don't know. So <laughs> I think to be in prayer was probably the best place to be, to be asking the Lord— and to do as much information gathering as you could possibly gather and not to buy official lines because they've changed so much. There's a lady um, who I've, have, I've seen over the last two years be sort of an advocate for really, really strict masking who who now has come out and said, well, those cloth masks, they're just nothing more than facial decoration. And we've got to make changes now. And you can see that, that everything I, and again, I, it's, both sides are equally to blame for this. Has has had politicized reasons for all the things that they do, and so it's it, it, that it leads into this because in the Jeremiah passage, Jeremiah seventeen five to ten, thus says the Lord: "Cursed is the man who trusts in man, and makes flesh his strength; whose tur- heart turns away from the Lord, he's like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see any good come." He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. So the the mistake here is trusting in man. I I can tell you that from personal experience, right? So anybody who has put their trust in me has been disappointed ultimately because that's what we do. We're we're not infallible. We are not the people um, that, that we ought to be. There's going to be a failure and a failing, and, and it's I'm not going to measure up to your expectations. There's, there's an important thing that has to happen, I think, in, in our lives, because we tend to trust people. And we tend to trust them largely because it, it's the one thing we can see and we can know. Right, We think um, that we, we know a person. Right. I don't even know me. That's Billy Joel's old thing. You know, the stranger, the song about the stranger um, that talks about the stranger that lives in each one of us and and sometimes comes out and we just are are amazed and appalled at what that what we're capable of. And so when we put our trust in other human beings, there's a need for a disillusionment. We need to be disillusioned that we can trust. Right. We that we can ultimately trust any human being, um, you, you see it in, in politics. Again, we see it that way that, that people aren't able to see even the warts of their guy or their girl, whatever it is, woman. Um, it, it's a difficult thing, but, but but there's a necessity of being disillusioned. And then we need ne- to know how to navigate that disillusionment, you know, because we've built this person up to be something they're really not capable of, of, of standing up to and so we need to be disillusioned of that and, I, and I'm sure we've all experienced in our lives um, and there's there's two ways of reacting to that right the one way is I'm not going to trust anybody um, and, and so now we've got a person who becomes so isolated and so incapable of talking and listening to other people that they they just continue to make the same kind of mistakes again and again because they can't trust anybody else to come alongside, to be a part of. And, and so we get those people who, who now just have, have these huge trust, issue, t- trust issues, and, and then we get you know or the, the right way to deal with that disillusionment is to accept the second part of Isaiah's word. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. You know, 20 years ago, a little, little more than 20 years ago now, uh, we were looking into moving to move into Rwanda. And so I went on a three-month sort of expeditionary trip. After the genocide, almost all the NGOs and uh, mission agencies had pulled their people out of Rwanda. And so I had to go and put together some kind of a budget uh, so that we could know exactly what we needed to do as far as fundraising is concerned. So I, I went and spent those three months there. And the first day that I was there, I sent an uh, I was sending an email out to a group of people, and, and one of those people was a priest in the church where we were, and he made a comment to Suzanne that morning, I mean bright and early, um, that, that said they, that he, misunderstood, he, he understood me to say X, but I didn't say X. I hadn't said that at all, and he was using it to say, you you can't depend on this other person to raise money for you. And so I responded to him and said, it was not a good thing for you to go and speak with Suzanne about that. If you wanted to take that up with somebody, you should have come to me. Uh, but second, I didn't say that anyway. And then I quoted the psalm that says, don't trust in princes and rulers and all that. I said, it's not his responsibility to do anything for me. And then it spun out of control from there, actually, because this guy had already gone to that other person and said that I had said something um, that I had never said. And that hung out there for about two years. Well, I, I, I could say, you know, I shouldn't trust any other priest because this one priest uh, who became a bishop later um, lied about you and did his best to cut your knees off for reasons of his own. I have no earthly idea what they were, but, but I didn't generalize that to priests and bishops Uh, No, it it was this one guy that I was having a problem with, but it it was because he misunderstood. He thought that I was trusting in in a man, and I wasn't trusted in a man. And it didn't mean that I couldn't trust that man. It just meant that I I wasn't, that it wasn't his responsibility. And so here what you get is the other side of it is, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. You You can stand in peace, and you can stand in faith in that place. He's capable of doing anything. He says, he's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. is not anxious in the year of drought, for it doesn't cease to bear fruit. I mean, God will continue to pour into your life. It may not look like everything is great all around you. The world can spin around you and spin out of control, but it doesn't mean you have to be out of control. And it's, it's, if you want to see an example of that, it's, it's who is in control when Jesus is brought before Pilate, when he's brought before the people, when he's brought before the Sanhedrin, there there's none of those people are ultimately in control. There's only one who's in control of the whole situation, and that's Jesus. They can't initially come up with a charge that'll stick, certainly not one that, that will allow them then to go demand that he be crucified, and so they're they're not in control. And they keep other people come and give different things, and then finally they latch onto one thing that gives them control. But the problem is is that, that when they take that to the Romans, the Romans look at it and go, well, that's not sufficient under our law for anybody to be crucified. And so the, then, so the Romans, it seems, have control. And then the, the, the Jewish leaders um, step back into the situation and gain control back again, saying, if anybody doesn't do this, he's not a friend of Caesar's. And so they gain control, but they can't actually carry out the crucifixion. They need Rome to do that. So they're not really in control. And so everybody in this situation is trying to get some sort of control over the situation. And Jesus, when he's called before Pilate, finally gives the answer. You don't have any power my father didn't give you. You wouldn't be able to do anything unless my father had given you that power. And that's the kind of equanimity we're supposed to have in faith. That that's the issue, is, is that we're, we're trusting in everything else. Well, those other things are not fixed points. Like God is, he's the only eternal and necessary being in the universe, and everything else flows out from him. And so, so to the extent that we grab onto him, well, the world revolves around him and so he is the fixed point and when we stand positionally in Jesus in faith then we have that fixed point in the in the universe that we're standing in and the world can spin out of control all around us but it shouldn't have any control over us because it's spinning out of control we should see it for what it is it's something that has spun out of control and therefore we can stand apart from that and we don't put a burden of responsibility on somebody else to do things for us no we know that God is our help, and he is everything, and then he'll show us what to do, but ultimately the results will be what he wants, and that's the belief in the sovereignty of God that I think all of us need to develop in these times, and he he goes on to say, you know, so basically he said, cursed is the man who trusts in man, and then blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, the, the one who is trust in man is like a shrub in the desert, but the one who trusts in the Lord is like a tree planted by water. Which would you rather be? A shrub in the desert or a tree planted by the water? Who gets a a, a continuous supply of the things that, that, that it needs? So he's already said, don't trust in man, don't trust, I mean, do trust in the Lord, and then says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, see, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So persevere in doing good. Persevere, in, in a Jewish way, you would say, persevere in doing the mitzvah, the commands, the things that you're supposed to be doing. And it's the same way with us do the things Jesus taught us to do, be obedient to his word. So what, what he said is, is don't trust man, trust the Lord, don't trust your own heart, because it's deceitful above all things. And, and so we, who are on the other side of Easter, as my father-in-law would say, have, um, it, have transcended that because we can now have the Holy Spirit to lead and guide our heart. So we're trusting God by trusting the Holy Spirit in us, but we need to test The things that the spirits say to us because we're not uh, a pure chalice we're a mixed chalice we have both sin nature as well as the Holy Spirit within us and so we need the Word of God to help us to know that that's the Holy Spirit of God speaking so in the gospel today, it's Luke 6, 17 to 26. And so it's the Sermon on the Mount, but it's from Luke. And and the one we're typically familiar with is the one in Matthew. So this one's going to be slightly different. So in, in Luke's gospel, it's chapter 6, verses 17 to 26. He came down with them. He'd been on the mountain and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples. He had taken the 12 up. He had called the 12, taken them up, onto the mountain by themselves in the same basic way that you see in uh, Exodus. So what you get in Exodus when they come to Sinai is, is that, that Moses goes up onto the mountain to meet with God. right? So he goes by himself, for, but then he also takes the leaders up. And so they go up onto the mountain and meet with him, and then the people stay down below. And that's exactly the picture that you should see here. So he has called the twelve to himself, and he's gone up onto the mountain so that they can be alone and then they can be in his presence and then he comes back down and so a great multitude of people from all judea and jerusalem and the coast sea coast of tyre and sidon so people who were uh, uh, adjacent to uh, israel uh, are there and they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases because jesus had been doing these things and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured So they came to hear the word of God preached, they came to be healed of their diseases, and they came to be delivered of unclean spirits. They'd seen Jesus do these things, and so they know there's a place to go now when I have these problems. They know that there's healing on offer, and so they're attracted to Jesus because they want that wholeness. And he the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And you can just see this. Now imagine this scene of people who, who want to come and touch Jesus in the belief that he can heal. And why do they believe that he can heal? Well, because he has. You know, that's the thing is is that, that we need to know how we know things, right? That's called, that's the study of that is um, epistemology. And so the way that we know things, it It comes in in a variety of ways. We've we've heard things. We've read things. We've seen things. We've experienced things. We can know in all kinds of ways. But then we're constantly having to come back and question what it is we know in light of new circumstances. And again, that's what I was saying about the science evolving on this whole COVID thing is that, that it's the way the scientific method works, right? You come up with a hypothesis, you test the hypothesis, and then you measure what happened at the end of that to see if your hypothesis was right or not. And then you go back and you adjust the hypothesis based on the facts on the ground. So that's the way that, the, I mean, so these people have come to Jesus believing in him because of what they've seen of him. And sometimes what we see with people come and interact with Jesus is is that they bring their former knowledge we know his parents, we know he's from Nazareth, and we know that nothing good comes from Galilee or Nazareth or wherever it is you want to say he's from. But the things that you know aren't always true. And that's the issue. Jesus was born from above. He came from above. And his Father is our Abba, Father God. We share one Father and then that he wasn't born in Galilee or Nazareth or wherever he was born in Bethlehem they came his family came because Caesar Augustus required them to go to their ancestral home and register for the census it would have been easy to check this information but the problem is that we keep, we, we let knowledge things that we say we know and we believe we know but we don't actually know because these things haven't been tested It's the way people get into trouble on social media. They'll forward things or uh, retweet them or whatever, and they haven't actually checked to see if any of that stuff's true, but it fed into what they already believed, so they went ahead and forwarded it. And now, well, you look like an idiot because none of that's actually true. So it's interesting to see this stuff. And so here you see the crowd coming to touch him, for they believe that power came out from him and healed them. And so in this moment... He lifts up his eyes and says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Now, he's speaking in the situation of people who are coming, who are desperate, that this would have characterized all of these people who were coming, the ones who were coming for healing, the ones who were coming to be delivered of unclean spirits, that, those three things, blessed are you who are poor, blessed are you who are hungry, and blessed are you who weep, the, all, that would have characterized many of the people who were there at that time. And so Jesus is telling them that they are blessed. If you're poor, yours is the kingdom of God. You may think you have nothing, and this plays out in the letters to the churches in Revelation as well. So blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So you don't think you have much, but you actually have the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you'll laugh. God's going to reverse all of this. And that's what Jesus is doing at this moment. He is reversing the circumstances of people's lives as they come to him to receive his power coming out from the kingdom. And so we're beginning to see the inbreaking of the kingdom when we see people healed in these ways. And then ultimately he says, blessed are you when people hate you. And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man, which is so he's looking into the future and saying this is what's going to happen. And, and, and you who, who exist after this day, you should know that, that I've, I've told you you were blessed as well because you will be hated and reviled and persecuted because of me. But you're blessed in that moment. Rejoice in that day, he says, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. That's a powerful word. So you're going to be persecuted and reviled just like the prophets were. And why were they persecuted and reviled? Well, it's because they told the truth. They spoke the truth, and they didn't waver. They heard what God said, and they proclaimed what God said faithfully. They listened well and they proclaimed faithfully. Those are the two things that we need to be really good at is listening well and proclaiming accurately. <laughs> And so then he goes, moves from there to woe to you who are rich. So he's reversing the, the things that he said. Woe, so blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. You've received your consolation. You have everything you're going to get. That goes back to the rich young ruler who, who was unwilling to give up his earthly treasure in order to receive his eternal inheritance. And then so before we had blessed are the hungry. Now he says, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Again, it's the same basic idea as the rich. You've received your consolation. You have everything you're going to get. And then, then blessed are those who weep, and then woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. So that every situation will ultimately be reversed, but, but it's because you're putting your trust in things uh, temporal. So if you're taking all your pleasure and all your comfort and all your hope in, in what you see and what you have— then you've got everything you're going to get. It's, it's only when you lay those things down for the sake of the eternal reward that that you become any of the things you believe yourself to be. It, it's a long game, Jesus says. And then finally, in instead of blessed are you when people hate you, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So, you want to be on the right side of history, Jesus says? Take a long view of that and stand in the truth. Trust God for your vindication, just like Job said he was going to do. I know that in the end, um, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand on the earth, and in my eyes, I will see God. Believe in the long game. Don't take all your comfort in the things of the world. Be, be uh, open-handed. Be open-handed. With respect to receiving and giving of those things, in order that you not miss the ultimate and eternal blessing that only comes from God. And it's, it's difficult to do that because we like to believe the evidence of our eyes. We like to believe that. But the problem is, our eyes can deceive us, and as Jeremiah told us, our hearts can deceive us as well. And so we constantly have to be on guard. We have to check these things against the, the Holy Spirit and against the Word of God. We have to check them against primarily. What Paul would say to the Philippians is, we need to to have the mind of God. We need to have the, the attitude of Jesus, who, even though he didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped, but laid everything down, and he played the long game. He realized this life was not all there was. But in order to have eternal life, then we have to sort of give up our claims to this life or the claims this life has on us in order to receive the free gift of grace that is eternal life. And so the way that we handle things in our lives is important. Are we trusting in in man? Are we trusting in things? Are we trusting in God? And ultimately, we need to be found on the side of the one who is eternal, the one who will ultimately judge us based on our deeds. And we don't like to say it that way. I mean, I'm, I'm judged based on my faith in Jesus, but my faith in Jesus needs to show itself forth in in the way I live and the things that I do. Um, it's the reason that I continue to do these podcasts, even though I'm not pastoring a church right now, is because I know that an obligation was laid on me. When I was ordained, I was ordained to the ministry of the Word and the sacraments. That was That was what I was ordained to, and so I want to be faithful to that, all the way up to the end of my life, and I, I don't want to look up and say, Lord, I, I haven't got anything to show you. I haven't got anything like way to prove my faith in you, Um because, well, I, I just didn't think it was worthwhile to keep doing that. I, I just thought that was for a season of time, and so now I can walk away from it and and i don't think that's what the lord ever says to us no i gave you something to put a charge on you and and he, with the prophets he always charged them with the admonition nobody's going to listen to you it's not going to make any difference what you say but your job is to be faithful to to saying what i tell you to say and and we can we can give up on that because it's, it's you know financially remunerative remunerative um, it, it, or it doesn't make friends. It makes people upset with us, all those kinds of things. Uh, and so I can, I could stop doing what I'm doing, but, but I would not have kept faithfulness with him. And so what I'm doing right now is I'm moving towards kind of a retirement thing is to say, Lord, how do you want me to keep doing this? What do you want me to do? And I'm willing to do more. I want to do more. It's important to me that I do more. It, there's sometimes what you're called to do is not huge, right? I mean, because we sit down and reflect on the lessons. But, but we're called to continue to persevere and pursue the kingdom of God, to pursue eternity. That's the most important thing that we're given to do. But we've got to see the world. We have to be disillusioned with the world, as I said before. And that's what, what Jesus is saying here is, is that you've got to be disillusioned with people, or you've got to be disillusioned with the things of the world in order that you might be sort of um, re-illusioned by God, that you would fall deeply in love with him knowing that he's a perfect being and knowing that he won't fail you ultimately. And so it's important, this disillusionment with the world is a really important thing for us in order that we can fall more deeply in love with him. But he doesn't want... He, if anybody had a right to be disillusioned with the world, it was, it was God, right? And, and, and why he would send his son to people who you know are going to be ungrateful and to save people who are also going to be ungrateful along the way. Why he would do that, knowing what he knows tells you something about the way your attitude should be towards the things of this world, that it's deeply important to God, important enough that he sent his son to die for the world. So we've got to know that without so and, and keep that always in our mind as we're disillusioned with the world and the things and the people therein, that, then we can't turn that in such a way that, that we no longer love the world. And it needs the Holy Spirit for us to be able to do that. In, in 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve to 20, the passage we have today, Paul says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? It's interesting, in Jewish thought, in the Talmud, they argue about this very issue, about who has a place in the world to come, and they say that every Jew has a place in the world to come, and then immediately they say, except, except, those who deny the resurrection of the dead, they're not entitled to participate in something they don't believe in. And so they, they would have ruled out the Sadducees from participation in the world of life to come because they didn't believe in it. So he, that's what Paul's saying, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? He would, his argument would probably be, therefore, you're, you're not entitled to participate in it. You don't want to deny it. Because you're not going to participate if you don't believe in that. And, and it comes down to that the believe in opposite of that is, believe, is to believe that this is all there is, there ain't no mo, you know, as the old saying goes. And so if, if that's the way you believe, then you're going to be a certain kind of a person. But a belief in the resurrection of the dead, which entails a judgment, will cause you to be a different kind of a person. You will understand. You have ultimate accountability. But Paul here is is talking logically about the resurrection. He said, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it's true, the dead are not raised. So he's just making a simple, logical argument here that, that if there's no resurrection, then Jesus wasn't resurrected. And if Jesus wasn't rec- resurrected, then we and everybody who proclaims that are liars. But the, the reality is, is that, that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that's the hope of all mankind. He says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished they they died they're gone they're not coming back if in christ we have hope in this life only we are of all people most to be pitied because we've been deceived and so that's the thing is this the great disillusionment is what happens if you if you want to know what the great disillusionment looks like, go read the book of Ecclesiastes this week, and I actually recommend that you do that. It won't take you very long, and it's something—the the, the argument there is you have to be disillusioned with everything in this world, and Solomon's saying, I know, I've had everything. If anybody has ever—anybody ever wants to say, well, you didn't do this, I did— is what he's saying is is that that no I understand that I had to be disillusioned with everything under the sun I had to had to get to the place where I no longer looked for aid and comfort or hope in those things and, and now I understand that I have to look above the sun for the things that are that are going to satisfy me and give me comfort and give me hope they can't be things that pass away and so he, He's Paul says we are truly to be pitied because we have put our hope in the resurrection. And if there is no resurrection, if it's only for this life, oh my gosh, we are to be pitied. But the God didn't want you just to have some fond hope. He didn't want to even have it where you just had to trust in his his say so. Passed through other people in the Word of God. You know the the people who wrote it and the people who have preached it, he didn't want you to have that kind of hope. There's a different hope that he wanted, and that's the hope of resurrection. And the, and the resurrection is assured because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And, and we are to be disillusioned in the world the more we contemplate the power and the promise of resurrection. That should immediately set our sights on the world to come. And it should immediately allow us to see this world for what it is. And that's the great disillusionment that we as Christians need to pass through in order to become those people who are fully reliant on him. We need to see the impotence of all the things of earth to satisfy us ultimately or to sustain us into eternity. And so it's important that we, that we go through that disillusionment in order that we can then love the world as Christ loved the world, seeing it for all its brokenness and all its sinfulness, but loving it anyway because it's good, God's good creation. Feeling that same way about other human beings because we know that they are creating the image of God. And so we have to see everybody the same. We can't set ourselves on a pedestal. We can't sit somebody else on a pedestal and measure everybody against them. No, only Jesus belongs on that pedestal and, and, and next to him all sin and fall short of the glory of God, so we can't put our trust in those people while at the same time not blaming them any more than we blame ourselves for our shortcomings. So it's important that we be disillusioned so we can see things rightly, and we can put our trust in the only one who is eternal. And then he gets to the end, and he says, but in fact— Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. And so, therefore, if he's the first fruits, then he is. The, the way that first fruits offerings worked was you brought literally the very first things that came out and, and, and were fruit, and you took those to Jerusalem for that uh, feast, and you offered them there because you knew that was a sign that God was going to give a full harvest. And so, in faith and obedience, you did this thing. So, if Jesus is the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep, then He is the first fruits in that very way. That because He has been, then we know we will be. And that's how first fruits worked. We knew because because there was produce, they knew there would be more produce, and they thanked Him in advance for that before they actually saw that n- other fruit. And so it's the same way with us. Again, we're supposed to be disillusioned with everything of this life and hoping for eternal life, but recognizing we have a a deep mission here, and that's to continue the work of Christ by loving the world in his name.